Hello, and welcome to the Backcheck, the Hockey History Podcast. My name is Riley. Over there is Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? Doing all right, thanks. And today we have a all-defenseman episode, specifically an American defenseman episode, though one of our defensemen is not American. He just has an American hockey award named after him, so that was good enough for us, apparently. So our uh, eligible player this episode is Matthew Schneider. Our relatively recently inducted player is Brian Leach, and our old-timer is Lester Patrick. So uh, we're going to start with Matthew Schneider, um, an American-born defenseman who played in the NHL from 1987 to 2010, which is 21 years, 17 of which were quality. And he is on various sort of leaderboards. He's 14th in goals by a defenseman in NHL history and 4th American He's uh, 25th in assists. He's 21st in uh, points for a defenseman and fifth American. Um, and he's uh, 19th uh, among defensemen in games. And he's 19th in point shares among defensemen. So he is on leaderboards. Um, whether or not you remember him being, uh, I guess, a, a star player, he, he played for a really long time. So he has, you know, like he has 200 goals, he has 500 assists. So these are fairly big numbers for a defenseman, especially one who played a chunk of his career in the dead buck era. Um, he's also 13th all-time in offensive point shares among defensemen and 4th all-time in defensive point shares among American defensemen. Uh, both of those, as we've talked about many times, are cumulative. So they, they are reflected in the fact that he's played almost 1,300 games in the NHL. So uh, I just realized they didn't have his draft up, which is, I'm, I'm terrible. Uh, we like to talk about the drafts, as, uh, as everybody knows. And uh, this, is, this is one of those drafts that we've talked about a few times at this point, the Joe Sackett draft. Ah, yes. Um, 87. Schneider was drafted 44th overall. And he is, uh, by most offensive metrics, the sixth or seventh best player in the league or in the draft, which is something for a defenseman. And by point shares, he's the fourth. Um, so uh, that's because Brendan Shanahan was in the draft, uh, Joe Sagic, Turgeon, uh, Luke Richardson, who you'd be like, well, why would he be higher than that? Because he played forever, right? Glenn Wesley and Luke Richardson are both in this, and they played huge amount of games. Desjardins, Fleury, lots of players. Leclerc. Um, but what about, I should look at goalies. Jeff Hackett and Garth Snow are the big goalies. Guy Hebert. Damian Rhodes. Um, it's, I mean, it's a decent draft. It produced a couple of Hall of Famers. Oh, yeah, like... Not not just Hall of Famers, but slam dunk Hall of Famers. Well, yeah, in terms of Shannon and and uh, Sack, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And then we were. I don't even remember what we said about Turgeon now. Yeah, I th I think, think we I think we said yes. I think we, but yeah. like not not by a lot. But we're like, you know what? He he put up some pretty fantastic numbers for quite a long time. Um, you know, was traded uh, for Pat Lafontaine. Like he's he was a pretty significant player for a long time. So I th yeah. I think we gave him the nod, but it wasn't by it wasn't by very much. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. I, I uh, as I mentioned many times on this show, I I do quizzes on a website called Sporkle, and they are uh, 
um, trivia quizzes, and there's lots of sports trivia. And one of the things I've done recently is a um, like a a point differential quiz, like who who was like a leading scorer versus second leading scorer differential quiz. Oh, neat! And Turgeon is on there a bunch of times. I just reminded me that like his reputation versus his like you know his numbers. His numbers are pretty damn good. Yeah. Anyway, so Schneider, uh, he's like he's he's among the better players in his draft in in offensive categories and in um, point shares. He is higher in point shares than Desjardins because he played more games. But I uh, he played basically two more seasons than Desjardins. Um, I don't know about you, but like at least from memory, I would have been more inclined to say Desjardins was the better player. I but, would think so too. I think Desjardins was more of a, more of a game breaker. Um, whereas Schneider was sort of that consistent, sort of steady, you know, um, contributor from the blue line who, yes, definitely was an offensive minded defenseman, but I would say sort of without the, the flashiness or the memorable goals, I think that Desjardins is known for, you know? Yeah. And he, he played for, he played for, you know, the 93 Habs scored that hat trick in the final. Um, he, you know, played for the Flyers right after that was involved in that massive trade with uh, John Leclerc for Mark Recchi. And then he, you know, he was a huge part of Philly when they were contenders for, yeah. you know, basically Lindros's entire career with them. So th- I think that's maybe why we so strongly remember him as being better. I'm not sure that if we sort of put them side by side, that it wouldn't be a lot closer than we'd think. But I think our memories may have just, we he was more more present, you know. He, I I feel like he was a, a bigger hitter, had a bigger yeah. shot. Like there's a lot of you know, he's kind of like kind of like you'd look at two defensemen and one of them's Dion Phaneuf and he's like all big hits and big slappers and you're like wow look at that guy and it's like you actually look at the stats you're like yeah maybe he wasn't maybe he wasn't as good as a lot of the other first defensemen on some teams you know not not to take a crap on Phaneuf he was really good when he first started his career but. You know, he's, he's flashier, so you, it yeah. sticks out more in your mind, you know? Yeah, well, like, I mean, the thing about um, hockey references, they show the draft total games, not per game. Yeah. But, like, Schneider has had a better career in terms of stats. But he also played essentially two seasons longer. Yeah. Um, so, like, I would have to actually sit down and do some math, but I'm pretty sure he outscored him even on a per-game basis. Uh, Desjardins. But um, you know, I, I I mean I remember Desjardins like you do. So I mean that would be a, that's a, another conversation. Anyway, I was just trying to figure out who was the best defenseman in the draft. It's between the two of those guys. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's like Gwen Leslie, who you know put up most of his points when he's playing next to Bork, and then like was just a defensive defenseman for the two thirds of his career. Yeah. And uh, and then after that, it's you know Kintal or uh, Marchment or Richardson based on point shares. So I think it's between Schneider and Desjardins the best. I, I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Um, so arrow-wise, uh, 11 defensemen played 1,230 games between uh, uh, 1987 and 2010. And of those defensemen, Schneider is is a top five-ish offensive player, except when it comes to assists and assists per game. Um, so he's like third in goal, seventh in assists, fourth in points. Third in offensive point shares, the top three. Wow. Uh, third in point shares. So, you know, by those metrics anyway, one of the best defensemen of his era, which yeah. I would surprise by. Um, I don't 
like I remember him for me, my memories of Schneider are like playing with Lidstrom at the end, near the end of his career. Okay. Yeah. And which he had good years, but like he was playing with Lidstrom. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know. I don't, um, there were, there were long periods where, uh, I, I certainly like, I don't remember him being on like, well, as we'll get to the trades, I remember him being on the Leafs. I don't remember him being on the Islanders or the Rangers or the Kings. Oh man. Yeah. I'm not remembering any of those. Or, or the Ducks or the Thrashers. Or I, do you remember him being on Vancouver? Was he? Oh, that might, that might've been during my, I hate Mark Messi. I'm not watching them until they. No, play. no, this is in 2010. Oh, right. Right at the end. Yeah. It was, Playing 15 minutes a game, 17 games at age 40. Wow. I'm He's not, been on a lot of teams. I, it's hard to remember. Was was that a deadline pickup for the playoff run that year? Uh I don't think so, but no, he was a he was a summer free agent signing. Really? I mean, he must yeah. have just realized he couldn't do it anymore, or not at least. Well, he got he got a traded. Um, sorry, he uh, he got sol- shoulder surgery, and then personal reasons kept him out of. A good chunk of the year. Oh man! And then, um, hold on, let me go back. And then I believe he was uh, traded after that. Yeah, he was. Then he was a he was a trade deadline trade to Phoenix. Oh man! So Phoenix was loading up, despite the fact that you guys were the better team uh, back then. Um, I don't. Uh, I I do not recall him ever putting on our shirt. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't recall most of the teams he played for. So I remember you know. him as a Canadian. That's where that's my yeah. biggest memory of him. Habs and Leafs and Detroit is what I remember. Mm. Anyway. Um, so uh, his 32 game average or sorry, 32, 82 game average is 48 points plus four. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, point shares wise is, uh, is 8.4, which is also pretty good. His three year peak, notably when he was playing next to Lidstrom. Yeah. Cool. Pointing out most of it uh, is 56 points per 82 games uh, plus nine at 11.1 point shares, which is a fair amount. But again, most of that was playing with Lidstrom. Yeah. Um, part of one season was uh, was on the Kings, but almost all of it was Lidstrom. And that's also it's worth noting that's when his best Norris voting came in. He was sixth and seventh in two years, oh, man. two of the years he was on Detroit in terms of Norris voting. So. Suddenly, he was considered a good defenseman by the league, having never <laughs> received Norris votes prior to that. Yeah, something happened. I don't know what it was. <laughs> well, I think if that—that that was the thing that I was thinking about Schneider is like he's always been like that, just really solid number two defenseman who just doesn't get very much press, but sort of goes out there and goes about his job every single day, and he doesn't have the flash, but he always, you know, I mean, his career average is forty-eight points. I mean, he's it's a lot. It's a lot of points, and he just sort of especially for how many years he played in the '90s, you know, the '90s and the early 2000s, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. If you look at his ice time, I mean, until he like really felt his career fell off a cliff at age 40, which I mean, he's 40, so good for him for that. His ice time is like, you know, in the in the in the top pair to to top four range the whole way from when they started tracking it, like. So the first year they started tracking it was he was on the Rangers. He was playing 24 and a half minutes a game. Man. That's a top pair for sure. It might have been even be best player on that team. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, sort of best defenseman or for number one defenseman. 
Um, yeah, I mean, he's always like in the 22, 23 range until, until he was 39. Wow. So, I mean, obviously, uh, we don't have his Montreal numbers. He might have been playing even more when he was younger. I don't know. So we have limited possession numbers when he was super old. Uh, and uh, he only, it was under two full seasons, but he was a positive possession player just barely. And this is when he was on um, the Ducks, the Thrashers, the Habs again, Vancouver, and Phoenix. Man. <laughs> he was on, how many teams was that? One, two, three, five. four, five teams in two years. Wow. And, uh, sorry, it says two years. It's three years. Um, Still. For some reason, hockey references two years. I don't know why it says two years. Um, and uh, 157... Uh, 157 games he on on uh, or uh, for five teams is is just crazy. So he was getting like some of that was free agency. Yeah. Um. I, I think he was being signed to short contracts, but we'll get momentarily. We'll get to the endless number of trades that he was involved in. Um, his adjusted. Uh, he is uh, helped very slightly. It's 49 points per 82 games instead of 48. So I mean, not much of a difference, but yeah. clearly he played. At least, you know, he, he, he played some games in the um, high-scoring area, which, I guess, era, which sort of balanced it out in terms of, uh, you know, um, in terms of uh, his, his adjustment, error adjustment. Yeah, and I, I would say that actually, it probably actually hurts him that he started playing um, during the era when, the, because he wasn't in his prime, you know, young defensemen don't get that kind of ice time or that kind of opportunity. By the yeah. time he was in his prime, it was full, full on the dead puck era. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Cause he was dead puck era. What would we say? Started 96 ish. Yeah. So he was 26. So he was just getting there. Yeah. So he played the, pro- I would say most people would say a defenseman's prime is uh, 27 or 28 until yeah. they're about 36. So he spent his entire prime in the dead puck. So I, I feel like that stat kind of hurts him in a way that it probably yeah. should, you know? Yeah, yeah. he might have better offensive numbers and uh, better adjusted offensive numbers. Yeah, if he'd been born a little earlier, yeah. Um, so there are seven trades, <laughs> some of which are really big deals. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, and uh, it's just bonkers. Um, and then some of them are really nothing at all. Um, oh, sorry, six trades and one uh, and one expansion draft thing. Yeah. But basically, one of the things. So I don't remember who said this first, but one of the things uh, someone once said, as some sports personality talking head was like. One of the things trades tell you is a, if a player has been traded a ton in their in their in their career, it suggests it may. I think the person was actually saying it totally says this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna be weaker with it and say it suggests that they were not considered valuable by their organizations because so many teams were willing to put them package them for other things. I uh, think that there's there's the the other side of the coin too, where they were. They might have been a piece that they would grudgingly. He might have been a piece they would grudgingly part with, but he's somebody that a lot of other teams wanted because they saw here's a rock solid defenseman. We're, you know, our top pairings running around all over the ice like chickens with their heads cut off because we don't really have a number two. 
Yeah. And so we're sort of, you know, we're playing Joe Blow with Lidstrom. Let's get him somebody who knows how to do everything well. Maybe, maybe nothing spectacularly, but he just does everything well. And so it'll just sort of calm everything down, solidify it. You know, he's, he's playing with Lidstrom. He's going to know where to be. He's not going to do dumb stuff like this other guy. And then let's put that guy on a lower pairing and he'll play where he's supposed to play. So I, I feel like it's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I feel like the number two defenseman is a really undervalued piece in the NHL. Cause everybody's always looking for that stud number one defenseman who can be on the power plane. But what about that guy who's, you know, he's only on the power play if you don't have another quarterback sort of guy. And if you do, then he's taking charge of the penalty kill or he's yeah. just playing an absolute ton out there on at even strength with different partners to settle them down too. like that steadying presence is, you know, an, an incredible thing to have. And I think for a lot of years, a, a really good example of that would be when they first came in. Um, Seabrook was drafted seventh overall and Keith was taken in uh in the, I think 51st or 52nd um, or maybe it was in the forties, but it definitely second round. And so for a lot of people, it was, wow, look how good Seabrook is. And then Keith, when Keith plays with them, they're great together. And then the more you watch them, you're like, Oh, Keith's the one who does absolutely everything. Well, Seabrook's got a big shot and he's big. So yeah. he attracts more attention. But when you started watching and Keith came into his own, you're like, he's clearly the better overall defenseman. It's not even close. Um, so I, I think that's maybe more of an extreme example because Keith sort of did become very flashy at the more he played and the more confidence he gained and, you know, winning an Olympic gold medal and being Canada's only real left-handed defenseman to play in 2010. <laughs> like, Oh my God, that guy never gets off the ice. He's so good. But I feel like Schneider's that sort of defenseman where he makes his partner look way better, no matter who it is. I mean, you know, Lidstrom obviously does the same thing too, but I feel like he has that, that, second d-man ability uh or or a a first d-man who does everything well no matter who he plays with on defense they get way better and he can also play with anybody and sort of adjust to the way they play to make it work like they're just that smart or that generally good at everything that you have to do as a defenseman i i feel like there's a little bit of that in schneider and obviously i you know knew his career you know in montreal i briefly remember him in long island and a little bit in la but it's just sort of like you know blah 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 who's playing with Lidstrom? like schneider oh that makes sense yeah it'd be a good partner for him like just one of those guys you know kind yeah. of like a, kind of like a rich man's ken danico <laughs> <laughs> well I was, I was gonna say i definitely agree with the idea that there's definitely a set another side to the whole idea of someone just being traded a lot it's not just a negative reflection and it also that kind of attitude also totally ignores context right like um you know you sometimes you have like a terrible owner for example it's just like yep. this contract's got to go away um but yeah it was just it was just something i wanted to mention given the fact that he was traded six times in his career yeah um so anyway those trades um the first one uh he was 25 and he was traded it, it's an infamous trade in Habs history. Oh, because yes. he was traded along with Kirk Muller for uh, Craig Darby, who is not a name I remember. I remember because uh, I grew up in Montreal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pierre Turgeon and Vladimir Malikov. So, at least on paper, you know, uh, Montreal is getting the 
the offensive star in Turgeon, yep. also from Quebec. Um, but also trading away one of the most popular players in recent Habs history in, in Kirk Muller. Yes. Um, who also, I believe, was very upset about that. Um, oh, yeah. Like, he's, he's been assistant coaching here in Montreal off and on over the last uh, decade. And it's cl- clear that, you know, he... He uh, he sort of made made well. I mean, it's you know he was here when he won the cup, so I mean it's uh, it's it's a place where I think he felt embraced and to be traded away. But the Habs did that a lot, you know. They they'd get yeah. a guy who was beloved by the fans, and when it came time to make a move that they thought was for the better of the franchise, they weren't they weren't afraid to make those moves. And but there's a whole after there's that a whole night, story they, about they this. A lot of moves they thought they were so so smart and ahead of the curve, and it's like. You kind of gutted like what was uh, a pretty solid team there. Like if you just let them keep growing together, they might have they might have had another one in them. With especially if they kept Patrick Roy, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um. There. I I just read something a little while ago about Mueller. Like I, uh, and I wish I could remember, but I believe he at one point was like threatening to refuse to report to the Islanders and all sorts of stuff. Wow. Anyway. Um. Anyway. Um. Malikov was older than Schneider, which I didn't realize. Yeah, uh, I remember. I thought Malikov was younger than Schneider. Anyway, um, it it is like it's a weird trade because, like, offensively, it's very clear that Montreal is winning this. Yeah, uh, because they're get first of all they're getting three players for two, but also they're getting Turgeon. He's only twenty five, but like it definitely like didn't work out for either team <laughs> afterwards. You know, yeah. Like Muller, Muller's career went off a cliff, and uh, and Turgeon was not the star that Montreal was hoping he would be. And like, I don't know. It just seems to have not gone well for either team. Yeah, I I, I feel like that was the era where the Islanders were always pushing to make the playoffs. Yeah, but they were they were never. They were well, they had made the playoffs a few years that that one year they went to the conference finals, right? In like '93 or something. Oh yeah, they ended up playing against the Habs, but Muller was on the other side then, so maybe they just remembered him being so good. They're like, we need to get that guy. I mean, that's GMs do that all the time, right? Yes, and don't forget, Pierre Turgeon did not play in that series because he had been destroyed by uh, yeah. Dale yeah. Hunter after the after the goal went in. So, um, which may may have turned the turned the tide there, but. Um, it's it's a it's kind of a weird trade, but at the same time not because you're trading. I I think for the Islanders they were like, look, Turgeon's hurt sometimes. He's great, but he's offensive. Malahov, I mean, his nickname in Montreal and I believe other places was Malahov the Magician because he'd show up one game and be the best defenseman in the NHL. You couldn't believe the skills he had. He could skate. He could hit. He was big. He was mobile. He did everything well. He'd only show up one out of every four games, and the other three games, he'd be like, "Who is this guy?" So they yeah. called him Malahov the Magician because he'd disappear all the time. Nah. <laughs> um, but he he undeniably was, you know, a top ten defensive talent if you just look at pure skill. But yeah. he just, he just never showed up. This or he'd have bad games, and you're like, you know, like it it must have frustrated the crap out of New York or the New York Islanders. They said, "Let's get a guy who maybe." doesn't have that great game but he never has a bad game and let's solidify this thing kirk muller very good defensively responsible forward could do everything win face-offs and they're like well turgeon is younger but he's getting hurt we don't know where we're going with him let's try to make our team harder to play against maybe was the the idea behind that um it may well 
and, and I, I think getting Craig that, Darby, who was 22 at the time and probably a, a fairly nice defensive prospect as well, you know, so. Yeah, um, they, they, those, all those reasons sound good. It sounds like a reasonable trade. And I think probably at the time it was a reasonable trade, except for maybe from Kirk Muller's perspective, because I think yeah. he was really pissed off. Yeah. But it's just, it really didn't work out for either team. <laughs> I just find that really interesting, you know? Yeah. Um, because they both, like, I mean, they the Islanders gave up on what they got back in this trade really quickly, right? Like, it was literally a year later that they traded uh, Schneider to the Leafs, and they traded Muller at some point not that long before or after that, too. I don't remember what, when. Uh, what, what year was that trade made? That was right after the season ended in 95. Okay, okay. So, so, so sort of makes sense, yeah. A, a year later, we have a deadline deal. Um, an infamous one in Leafs, in Leafsdom. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> because at the trade deadline, the Leafs, hoping to make a playoff run, got uh, Wendell Clark back. And this was a really big deal at the time. I was I was not quite yet back in the fold, but even though I was not yet paying attention to hockey again, because I, I was still sort of in my, like, I hate Gretzky. Uh, I, I don't want to watch hockey thing. Um, I remember how excited everyone was that Wendell Clark was coming back. And and this is what this is what the uh, the Leafs gave up. Darby Hendrickson, so what? Sean Haggerty, so what? Kenny Johnson, useful player. Oh yeah, he ended up being a top four uh, defenseman in Long Island for a long yeah, time. I mean, he was already, or he was very close to being in Toronto if memory serves. But anyway, and then a first round pick, and that first round pick became Roberto Luongo. Wow, man, jeez, it's like everybody's just been giving away Luongo his whole career. <laughs> <laughs> the Leafs gave him away. Now the Leafs may not have selected him, however. You would think that they probably because he was. Yeah. He was so good at the World Juniors. Like, I think he was drafted fourth overall. Something um, like that. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. I believe it was the highest goalie had been drafted in either a very long time or ever. Yeah, fourth overall. You're right. Yeah. Man. Uh, well, when he was drafted. It's it's really interesting that uh, Luongo was then traded to the Florida Panthers. Yeah. With. Uh, with Ole Jokinen for Oleg Kvasha and something else. Mark Parrish. Mark Parrish. There you go. Hey, he was a, he was a good player, but I mean. Yeah, was, but like, come on. I know. I'm Neither sorry. of those guys were as good as Jokinen. That, that was a Milbury special, and then he took Rick DiPietro because he thought DiPietro was going to be like the greatest goalie of all time. But he already had Luongo, and he could have taken either Heatley or um, I forget who the other guy was. Uh, Heatley, and there's somebody else good right after that too. Can we just say? Right now, yes, that because Mike Milbury is the worst GM in the history of the NHL, and possibly is certainly up there for history of the worst GM in the history of professional sports. He shouldn't have. He shouldn't be allowed to talk about hockey on television. Can or we certainly just, not. Like, certainly not analyze trades. That's for yes, sure. <laughs> the very least. Yeah, yes. if you if you want him to like say like like be be American Don Cherry and talk about how guys should be tougher, whatever. But like he should not be analyzing anything to do with like coaching decisions and trades what because I've, jesus christ i've, I've, I've got to say a, lo a lot of people in montreal even though they can't stand milbury and like why is he on the air they're like he was a very good coach he was a really good coach but boy is a gm was he terrible so they've given him credit and said he was actually a good coach 
But in terms of like the front office stuff, just Ooh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I didn't put my phone on mute. <laughs> I just thought you had stepped on an accordion. <laughs> um no, but it's it, it it's one of those things where it, it grates on you if I feel like a lot of the American audience doesn't know about those trades, but everybody in Canada does because we're yeah. obsessed slash insane um, <laughs> when it comes to hockey and we all think we can do a better job. But that one was like, even when it was first announced, I think a lot of people were like, you're trading Luongo to draft another goalie? Why? Yeah. Like he's been, he'd been standing on his head because they were trash. They had the first yeah. overall pick. It's like, you've got, you've got a good goalie. Yeah. He's thought, you know, he's got to stop 50 pucks a night. And sure, you lose 4-2, but you'd be losing 10-2 if it was any other guy. And then, like, can you, you know, just get a good player and keep the thing you already have? But instead, he made that deal, and it was just, like, inexplicable. He must have just fallen in love with how, how great he thought Di Pietro was going to be. and just. But, you know, yeah. like I've always I, – I say this a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people will be mad at me and probably point at Grant Fuhrer, but you pretty much can't win with a righty-catching goalie. Like, it does not happen. You know, like – I think you can probably list maybe three or four guys who've ever won a cup catching right. Like it just doesn't happen. Um, and Di Pietro showed some flashes, right? Like you could see why he was so highly touted, but it just made no sense to trade away Luongo. It, like you've already got the guy, just don't draft that goalie. If somebody else wants him first overall, make a move, move back in the draft, take a player. Like it's just, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a classic Milbury. And then, yeah. you know, and then not he gets traded from Florida. Not to get too far off on this tangent, but the thing about him is that he would always he would throw in multiple guys all the time, right? Oh yeah. He wouldn't just trade Luongo for Parrish and Kavasha. He'd trade Luongo and a better forward than either of those guys. Like what? Like well, why? I, and like there's the Yashin deal like and there's like, this. A guy like Milbury, and I'm gonna throw Jim Benning under the bus here as well, just because he drives me nuts. They just bleed value where the other GM must say, like, you know. Like, okay, we agree on the, but you got to throw me something else because my fans are going to kill me. You know, come on, be a good guy. Throw me a second round. Yeah. Throw me a this guy. Throw me a that guy. And then you throw him in. You're like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. The trade's fine if you take that out of it, but you left, you threw it in. Why? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, and it's, it's interesting too that the Leafs pick is what ended up being Roberto Luongo. And then they ended up having Tuka Rask and traded him away and kept. Yeah, that was a lot. That was like eight years later, though. But I'm I'm just saying, like, this is a couple of times they've whiffed on having a very good goalie. Yeah, yeah. And we had Rask, though, right? Like, that was more like Rask isn't good enough, isn't good now. And we had had another guy who, like, if I say his name, no one's going to remember Justin Pogge. Oh, no, I remembered. I just said it. <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't even hear you. But, like, I mean, for anyone who's not, like, you know, like, why do you know Justin Pogge's name? Um, anyway, uh, yeah, he was chosen over Rask as the goalie of the future when that trade was made, which turned out to be... Because he played out of his mind at the World Juniors and everybody fell in love with him yeah. and said he's going to be the guy. And it's like, well, if you just would have waited for Rask, he eventually came around. Yeah. He's, he's still a bit of a head case, but... yeah. Although anyway, like, I gotta say, last last spring he was the number one reason that uh, they made it as far as they did because he uh, he played really really well. Uh, and he absolutely, was he was yeah, actually he would have been like, the Smythe that they won for sure. 
Oh yeah, I think so too. And it's like he was this sort of like calm presence that I've never seen before. Because usually he loses mind. Like even the year before, he was throwing a, a skate blade at somebody because his skate blade came off in the playoffs. I'm like, yeah. you can't throw a skate blade. What if that went into the crowd? <laughs> but it, that I, maybe that was the incident where he's like, I threw a skate blade. I should probably uh, talk to somebody about this and get a handle on my anger. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but uh, anyways, he still would have been the best Leafs goalie you've had since. I don't know. Alan Bester. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> definitely Felix Putney or maybe Cujo. Cujo was great for you guys. Cujo was great. Belfour was better than you remember. Really? Yeah. Huh. One year, anyways. First year, he was really, really good. Um, he he was he was less good later. Um, with this trade though, like it it's funny because the trade, if you look at it, you know, you think like old older Wendell Clark, Schneider. And, uh, and some guy, I don't remember, DJ Smith, for Derry Hendrickson, Sean Haggerty, and Kenny Johnson. And if the first-round pick hadn't been anything, I think that's probably a reasonable deal. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I think the, I think without the first-rounder, the Leafs win that handily. And if the first-rounder yeah. doesn't end up being Roberto Luongo and ends up being somebody else instead, maybe you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, they totally won that trade. Yeah, but, but the thing is, of course, uh, I, I mean, I don't – why they, the Leafs thought they were, like, making the – because the thing is that year, right? Like they, um, hold on a second. I'm I'm pretty sure they they can't have made the playoffs, right? Oh, they did. So I don't know how they had a four, uh, number four overall pick and they make the made the playoffs. Um, they did. Uh, it doesn't make Maybe any sense. Someone else's first rounder. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. So someone wasn't paying attention. Basically, is it must have been the case, right? Like. <laughs> Because, like, they were like, hey, we'll just trade a first-round pick. And then, like, someone is like, you were supposed to trade our first-round pick. Yeah. Was I? You know, I'm actually going to, while we're talking, I'm going to see if I can see where the pick actually came from. Um, because, like, that to me is also, like, uh, let me see. Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe, like, it doesn't, it says it was their pick, it seems. So, I don't understand why it was number four. Because they were in the playoffs. So, that's really, really weird. <laughs> yeah, mystery, a mystery. Well, um, we're going oh, to do more oh, research on that. Sorry. Yeah, I'm an idiot, Bill. It was it the was year later. Next, it was the next season's first round pick. Aha! Uh -huh. There we go. So they they were just giving it away because they were like, "What is it? We'll be good next year too. Who cares?" Yep. And then they were terrible, and then it turned into Longo. Okay, that makes more sense. Glad we sorted that out. Good. So, um, Schneider had to wait. Two and a half years, and then he was traded yet again. Uh, this time for uh, Karpatsev and a fourth round pick who turned into nothing, uh, or it became nothing. And uh, that was a fairly minor trade. I think he was not playing, or he hadn't played much the previous year due to an injury, mm -hmm. or he had some injury history. So he was like, so so Karpatsev for him straight up seems like he's really his status has dropped a little bit, but. Um, I guess he was just, he'd been having it. No, he played that season. So who knows why that was? I guess maybe Karatsev was, uh, um, I don't know. That's a weird, that's a weird one to me. My memory oh. was, uh, in your notes, it says that he held out as an RFA. So maybe they just didn't want to pay him. Um, oh yeah. Sorry. I should actually look at my own notes. Shouldn't I? I was looking <laughs> at the, I was looking at the hockey reference page and like, I don't understand this deal, but yes. Yeah. Yeah, yes. holding yes. out. Yes, holding out. Yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, 
uh, he had so, he was on so many teams. Um, so afterwards, um, he was he was left exposed and he was claimed by Columbus because apparently the Rangers didn't want him or want to pay him either. And then, uh, despite the fact that he had been claimed by Columbus, they seemed to have released him and he was signed by the Kings. And so that led uh, to our next trade um, where he was traded. And now at this point, he's 33 years old. He was traded uh, to Detroit for Sean Avery, Maxim Kuznetsov. Uh, so not that Kuznetsov. Uh, a pick, a first-round pick that became Jeff Tambellini and a second-round pick that became Martins Carsons. Um, so a bunch of stuff. So by then he seems to have his reputation he's he's considered a little bit more of a, a major player because that's you know it's one for four basically three yeah. three four four so um yeah so Detroit gave up four assets for him at the trade deadline um and that uh didn't work out that year because they didn't win the cup they just won the cup the previous year um and he actually he uh, he never won the cup there. He he moved on before they won. Jeez. Um. So then the next deal. There's just so many of them. It's crazy. <laughs> um. So then he he became a free agent, and he was signed by the Ducks. Something that I had no memory of. And a year and a bit after being signed for the Ducks, he was traded for Ken Clee, who I remember, someone named Brad Larson, and a Chad. Pesho, hot hot bread, Chad hot bread, um, <laughs> and uh, this this is uh, how old was he at this point? Um, uh, he was thirty nine, and that's not all. <laughs> Later that season, he was traded back to Montreal um, with a third round pick for a second round pick and a third round pick. So at this point, his value had definitely uh, fallen through the floor. Um, he was also 39. And then uh, and then he became a free agent. He was signed by Vancouver. Uh, he missed the majority of that season for shoulder surgery and personal reasons. And then he was traded at the trade deadline to Phoenix for nothing. Again, and that is the sum total of his trades. There's a lot of them. Only a lot. Interesting. Though I guess the Sean Avery trade is relatively interesting because, you know, he left Detroit where he might not have been, some of his stuff might have not been tolerated and he went to <laughs> other teams where they promote, were like, yes, we need to let this guy be himself. Yes, and and apparently he was allowed to do whatever he wanted to Marty Brodeur, call him a fat ass, yeah. wave a stick in front of his face. Then he said something about Alicia Cuthbert, and that was it. Just like, nope, you know what? We have had enough of your bullshit. Yeah. And it, was, it was interesting. He went to Dallas, and Texas is just like, nope, we're not having that. Get out. <laughs> it, so, it, it, was, it was apparently notorious. Like, he showed up there, and the, that, like after like a week, the, all of the stars were like, oh, my God, get this guy out of our dressing room. Like, they all, oh, really? Oh, yeah. That's what, that's what I heard. And apparently, when he, when he went out and made those comments – um he went out and said that and uh and he was like telling all the guys in the room he's like hey guys watch this watch this and he was like already knew he was like it was clearly pre-planned 
Yeah. And he went out, and then the stars are just like, yeah, we don't want him anymore. <laughs> we would like to get rid of this guy. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, <laughs> Man, so, Dion Phaneuf keeps coming up in this uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an all Phaneuf episode. Um, so, you know, we, we did mention it off the top that he's in top, you know, he's, he's, he's among the top 15 or 25, depending on which category, best offensive defenseman in NHL history. Um, in terms of, um, in terms of totals anyway, not per games. Um, but when you get to his actual individual accomplishments, this is where the case really gets kind of sketchy, which is that, uh, he doesn't really have many. Um, he was in two all-star games. He scored, despite his 82 game average being 48 points, he managed to score 50 points only six times. Uh, and that is because he doesn't, you know, he played for forever, but he didn't play full seasons. Um, he played one, one full, no, he never played a full season in his entire career, despite playing for 21 years, which is crazy to me. Yeah. <laughs> never once made it into 82 games. Anyway, um, so that I guess that it helps inflate his 82 game average a bit. Um, he uh, uh, hockey point shares, which are you know flawed, but our our best way of guessing at value of defensemen, uh, said he was a top five defensive player once uh, and a top ten three times, and two of those times, including the one time he was top five, he was playing with Lidstrom. Or sorry, one of those times he was playing with Lidstrom. The second time he was on, like, I don't know, Atlanta or something, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Atlanta. Who was it? Um, Anaheim. Which is crazy. I don't get is that. Is that no way? Yeah. Oh, okay, he was well, playing. Yeah. He would have been playing behind Niederbeier and Pronger and Boschman. Oh, so if he was playing with Boschman, then uh, that's like a perfect that's actually a perfect storm of two guys who just do everything well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like almost, like almost carbon copies of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he doesn't, his, his, his career accomplished, his individual accomplishments are very small. Um, top five and plus minus ones. And then there's the other thing. He had some terrible luck. He, um, hold on. Let me, uh, get to his playoff thing where is that i've lost it so um he was he was an in he was injured on the uh 93 canadians or or he yeah because he played in 11 games out of the 20 whatever yeah um was it 20 something uh let's see they won in yeah, they played games, twenty. They played in twenty games, games. Four games, five games, five games. So a five game average is exactly twenty games. Yeah, yeah. So he he missed half the half of the playoffs basically, and then that was his only playoff success of his entire like career. That was the only time he advanced past the second round. Jeez. Um, and then to add insult injury, he was rarely. Uh, well, he was on the U.S. and of course the U.S. were bad most of the time. So he was he was a possibly a top four. Uh, defenseman on the uh, the World Cup team in '96, and that's his that's his international success. That's it. Wow! So he really had a unlucky career in that regard, both being an American and being born in '87, as opposed to say 15 years later or something. Um, but also, uh, 
yeah, he just he was never like a a star um player. Uh, you know, he was like I said, he was considered hockey reference list one of the best defensemen when he's playing with Lidstrom or when he was playing with as you as Mike would call it, Prongmeyer. Um yeah. <laughs> and then one time in ninety two for some reason, uh when he was playing with Desjardins, probably. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, uh, it's funny cause he has all this stuff under career and then we get to accomplishments and great teams and it's like a hundred words thoughts. Um, better than I thought he would be. Um, oh, it's funny you say that. Like I had the opposite reaction. Really? No, I, 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 I guess I always just sort of remember him as like being there and be like, Oh yeah, Schneider's all right. But I sort of remembered him more as like a three four defenseman. Oh, okay. Becoming quite clear by his stats that he he was playing, like he was definitely like a top four lock. Um, but he was either an elite number three or a very good number two. Um, I think by his ice time he was often playing number two. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's like I think it goes to say something that even on a team, uh, you know, like the international team that you were mentioning, the ninety six USA the champions of kicking the puck in the net. Um, <laughs> I'll never let it go. Rather. Um, but it's, it's interesting that even on, on, you know, what basically was an Olympic team, he was still a top four defenseman at that point. Yeah. Um, That's and, a guess, by the way, that's by points, but anyway. Well, I mean, you think about the other American defensemen who were there, Leach, Leach. Yeah. Chelios. Yeah. Um, one of the hatchers. Gary Suter still there? Maybe one of the hatch. Yeah, definitely one of the hatches. They were dirty. Um, yeah. But th- like, he's still a top four defenseman, and like the two guys in front of him are slammed on Call of Famers. Yeah, like he's he's a pretty good defenseman. <laughs> so. yeah. I guess I was surprised at the lack of like the short, the very short individual accomplishment list. Like the last, because yeah. he just played forever. I just sort of figured there'd be more. You know, he scored twenty goals twice, which. I mean, playing in the dead puck era, you'd think no one ever scored 20 goals. But, <laughs> he, um, you know, he, he did it once in the early 90s and another time with Lidstrom. But, like, I just expected to see more of that stuff, I guess. I didn't really remember him that well, except for on Detroit, where I remember him looking good because he was playing with Lidstrom. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I almost had the opposite reaction. Like, I remember him playing with Detroit. I didn't remember him exclusively being Lindstrom's partner, but I oh, I don't, I'm sorry. I'm not saying that. I meant more like a. There's a bump because of you oh know, yeah. I oh, mean, for, oh for sure, that's undeniable, right? Like clear bump. In yeah, his, clear bump. Um, defensive point shares anyway. I think he's like I said before with the Desjardins thing. You know, you remember Desjardins because he scored flashy goals and laid out big hits, played with. You know, some some teams that went far and teams that, you know, he scored big goals in big moments. Um, you just sort of have, like, more of a memory of him just being dominant. And then you look at Schneider and you're like, Schneider was just consistently there, Mr. Consistency, nothing flashy about his game. He's going to put up 40 to 50 points a year. He's going to play really well with whatever D partner you're going to give him. He's going to sort of solidify your back end. Like, to me, I, I remembered him. I was actually surprised by how many points he had. I'm like, really? He was that good offensively? Because I don't remember that. And because I, I can't I can't distinctly remember a single Matthew Schneider goal in my entire life. 
been watching <laughs> hockey for I've been watching hockey for literally thirty years, and I can't remember him ever scoring a goal because he just does. He just it's one of those things. He just doesn't sort of stick out the way some guys do. So I guess to me it was like, oh, Matthew Schneider. Be like, ah, I guess he was okay for an American defenseman. And I'm looking at, it, I'm like, he was actually one of the more slow, you know, maybe just a very steady, calming number two defenseman his entire career. Those guys don't grow on trees. They're hard to find. And I think given his statistics, he's a slam dunk for the American Hockey Hall of Fame. I just don't know if he belongs in the actual Hockey Hall of Fame. But I, I, I think I, he's an American Hall of Famer for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, but I just but, don't, like, I would have to do more research into those teams, like the teams where, you know, he was the probably the best defenseman on his team. Like, yeah, maybe the Islanders and the Rangers. Well, yeah. no, he wouldn't have been the Rangers because Leach was there. Um, but uh, like, I just I have a real hard time like considering the case of someone who is like never or very rarely the best defenseman on their team. Yeah. Um, as a as a Hall of Famer, um, even even if his you know he's got great totals, right? But yeah. he, also, he played in almost thirteen hundred games, and uh, you know he just happened to be, in, like you said. I don't remember him enough to say he was good at everything, but he certainly seemed to be good at everything and, and consistently put up points in a way that a lot of defensemen of his era didn't necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure. I don't know if that's enough. And I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I'm not, like, I, I think it's a no for me, but, like, I would listen to someone maybe. I'm, I I'm, think I'm the in the exact part. same spot. I'm going to give it, like, a slight no, but I, I'm willing to listen. And if somebody really wants to build a case for him, I'm like, you, you know who, you know, who's kind of like a good comparable for that. Um, and I, I believe we've already discussed him. Uh, Brian Rafalski. Yeah. Of just like, man, this guy just sort of slowly, steadily did this as like a rock solid number two. Yeah. I remember Rafalski being better than Shiner, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. 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 So I'm not sure that either one of them would get like a, would get a vote from me, but it, like I, I would definitely have like it wouldn't be one of those guys where I go, no, no, he's not getting in. It's like I, yeah. I want to think about it a little bit. Like maybe there is a place for a guy like that, but again, that's the hockey hall of fame as it is in his current iteration, not the one that we would have. I think as we, our ours would be very selective company. I think, um, yeah. but you know, th- there's, I think he definitely. Oh. Um, just randomly got a call. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, but like I, I, I think it's worth discussing, uh, and I, I think maybe his career is not not remembered as fondly just because of the way he played. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, as as an illustration, though, in terms of like, uh, and and you can't see this, listeners, because we're. Uh, we're looking at a document that is not available to you, but like, I just look at like Brian Leach's accomplishments in comparison and they're like three times as long. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I just sort of like looked at Schneider and was like, really? I'm surprised he didn't, have, he didn't do more, but anyway. Um, so Leach played short, uh, played, started the same year, but played less time. He played uh, only 18 seasons, not 21, but they both began in 87. Um, he is, he has more goals, more assists, more points, as you might expect. So he's ninth all time in goals among defensemen. He's seventh all time in, 
in assists. He's eighth all time in um, in points, um, and he played slightly fewer games than, uh, despite playing a number of years fewer, he only played like I don't know half a season less total than uh, slightly more than half a season. Oh, a season less than uh, uh, than Schneider in terms of games, but yeah. in terms of like years. He played three seasons less, which is just weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Also, uh, Leach is 12th all-time in point shares among defensemen. Um, he is 13th all-time in goals per game, 7th all-time in assists per game, and points per game among NHL defensemen. So, you know, one of the best one of the top 15, top 10, depending on your – yeah, top 10 offensive defensemen in the history of the sport, or the league, rather. Um and uh, if you make it American, he's uh, second all time in uh, assists per game among American NHLers, which is something. Um, and um, yeah, he's just he's one of the best offensive defensemen in the history of the NHL, especially given when he played a lot of his career. You know, because oh yeah, you know he is one of the very few defensemen to score 100 points in a season. Uh, he also played a chunk of his career in the dead puck era after he did that. So. So up first we have his draft, which is the Joe Murphy draft. Oh yeah, where the the year that Vincent uh, Vincent Donfus is the best forward, um, which is it's it's not a good draft. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, if you go by points, it's Donfus and then Leach, and they're the only two players to have a thousand points in the draft. And remember, this draft took place in the middle of the 1980s. <laughs> so there is still a, most of a decade to score lots. And yet, uh, here are the top players by points. Donfus, Leach, Scott Young, Craig Janney, and Teppo Newman. Man. Uh... Jimmy Carson's in there, but of course Jimmy Carson's career foil, foiled out. Yurke uh, Lumi's in there, down further. Um, Rob Brown, another guy whose career flamed out. Oh, uh, goalie-wise, Ron Tugnut. Oh, yeah. And, and Tim Chevelday, or how do you pronounce his name? Yeah, Chevelday. Um, but, yeah, uh, not the world's greatest draft. So I think it's safe to say that Brian Leach was the best player in this draft. I would say so. A lot. Yeah, by a lot. <laughs> I mean, we talked about Don Foose. And whether or not he had a case, but like as we will get to with Leach, there's there's no debate. Yeah, he's the only he's the only surefire Hall of Famer in the draft by it, and it's just there's not even it's not even remotely close. Um, yeah. It's not a great draft. Uh, he he played a thousand games. Well, sorry, he played twelve hundred games between uh, what did I say eighty seven two thousand six of the twenty five D to do though to do that he is basically the second or first best offensive player among the defensemen. Um, though he is six last in point in plus minus, which is interesting. Um, and by point shares, he's the third best defenseman. So the number one would have been Lidstrom over that period. Number two is probably either Scott Stevens or probably Scott Stevens. I would have to double check, but that would be my guess. Um, his, his 82 game average is absurd at 70 points. His, th his three-year peak in the early 90s, I should point out, 88 points in, per 82 games, which is 
crazy. And 12.6 point shares, which is considerably more than Schneider's was. Um, he he retired before possession stats were, uh, were tracked. Mm-hmm. Um, we skipped over Schneider's playoff numbers. I, did I not write them down? Oh, no, I did. We skipped over them. They were not good. Uh, <laughs> Leach's, Leach's playoff numbers are... Uh, are very good. He's over a point per game in the playoffs for a defenseman is uh, crazy. Yeah. However, that has to do in part with his Stanley Cup run, which we will get to eventually, which is one of the greatest performances by a defenseman in the history of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, so yeah, his playoff, like his playoff numbers are absolutely skewed by like three years in the 90s where he was scoring over well over a point per game and then like he still managed like that year for the Leafs he managed eight points in 13 games which in 2004 for a defenseman is a lot yep so um oh yeah and there was something else I wanted to mention before we get to the trades which is that uh my best guess is that Leach is sixth all time among all NHL defensemen uh, if you adjust for era for goals per game, fifth for assists per game, points per game. So even with adjusting for era and his gaudy early 90s numbers, which were totally inflated, he is still the fifth best offensive defenseman in NHL history with adjusting for era. So that's, you know, very good. <laughs> I would guess that's behind, that's behind or pot van, coffee. McGinnis? I don't know who the other one would be. Maybe McInnes, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So he was traded. He was a longtime Ranger, but he was traded twice right at the end of his career. Um, uh, and uh, including once to the Maple Leafs. Um, so there's this really su- super weird thing that happened. The first trade is like a non-trade. And I don't, I unfortunately, I don't, I didn't look this up to see what it was, if there was an explanation. I don't, or if I did, I, I did the, I did these notes so long, I don't remember. Essentially, um, before his deal expired, he was traded to the Oilers for UC Markkinen, who would later uh, go on to some fame in 2006 in the playoffs, and a fourth round pick. He then became a free agent and a month later re-signed with the Rangers. That is weird. So, and you, I don't, yeah, the other thing about this is like, Markin was traded to the Rangers, but then found his way back to the Oilers in time to play for the Oilers in their cup run. Oh, he was traded back to Edmonton uh, in the Ned deal. Okay, who the hell knows what was going on there? Anyway, it was a super <laughs> weird, it makes no sense. I can't explain it. And I didn't, if I if I read about it, I don't remember. I assume it was some kind of like, I wonder if he was like, if there was some kind of like clause in the CBA at the time that like if he, re, if he re-signed with the team he was on, he had to like, they had to do a specific thing and he was taking a hometown discount or something. Probably. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, the fact he got dealt to, uh, to Edmonton, you know, Glenn Sather was the GM in New York at the time, I'm assuming. So, um, and it's not like they've been strangers to trading over the years. So kind of makes sense. You scratch yeah. my back, I'll scratch yours. There you go. Sure looks like it. Yeah. 
and I guess I mentioned at the time I had no interest in marketing. Um, anyway, that was a weird one. And then, um, famously, at least in Leafland, the trade deadline uh, that next season, he was traded to the Maple Leafs with that same fourth round pick that the Rangers had acquired for him <laughs> nine months earlier. Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Four, Maxim Kondratiev, Yarko Iminen, uh, a first round pick, which became someone named Chris Chuko Chuko, and a second round pick, which became Michael Sauer. So, um, Leafs dodged a bullet there, eh? Yep, yep. Traded a whole bunch of assets, which turned out to be nothing. Super lucky. Yeah. And, you know, Leach on the Leafs was, like, fine. He was old. He, he had a decent playoff, I think. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, his regular season was... Uh... Oh, no, he didn't... Oh, no, walkout. He just played in the playoffs. That's right. I remember, I guess I'm just thinking about it in the playoffs. I thought he was decent in the playoffs. Yeah. And then he signed with Boston. And then that was the end of his career. Wow, I don't uh, remember that at all. But I, I was. Well, I remember on Boston because everybody here wanted him to re sign with the Leafs. Oh, okay. And were upset that he didn't. But then he went and had like the worst season of his career for Boston. So then we all felt fine. Uh, yeah, well, they, they weren't very good back then, I don't think. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't remember that because I was, I think I was already living in Japan at that point. So. Yeah, yeah. I for, I swear, you know what? The Leafs acquired so many old defensemen in the trade deadline in the early 2000s that, that I can't remember which ones hung around for a season and which ones left because there was just like a parade of them for like four years. That is true. Um, and I, I, in my mind, I decided that he had played a, a playoff run and then a season, but it was just the playoff run. Kind of feels um, like that's been the problem in Toronto for like what twenty years. I mean, we haven't in, in our defense, we haven't done that recently. But that's true. You got more. It was a big problem for a very long time. We did it all the time, all the time. Trade tons of assets. Well, hell, we did it for Schneider. Yep. Trade tons of assets for a, a defenseman at the trade deadline. Bill Housley, that worked out well. <laughs> that happened a really long time ago. I don't know why I'm still upset. <laughs> When it's your team, you're always upset. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess the first thing we should talk about in terms of his accomplishments that we could all, we just combine this because it's it's both his his an, a major accomplishment and also a, a notable appearance on a great team. So we can talk about it now, or we can talk about it in a few minutes. Doesn't matter to me. Go ahead. <laughs> so uh, in 1994, he won the MVP when the Rangers won the. Uh, the cup and he had an insane run in which he scored 34 points in 23 games and was plus 19. Um, because the NHL is stupid, we don't have his ice time, but we got to assume he was playing a lot. Um, he, this, this 34 points is not something that 30 points is not something that happens in the NHL playoffs that much anymore. I think the last guy to do it was Malkin. Yeah, I think so. Which would have been like, a while ago, um, I think he did it. In, I think he did in 2009. If I'm not, it's been like 10 years. I think so, yeah. Um, but basically, he had four more points than Messier did, um, who was the second highest scorer on his team. One less goal, five more assists. Um, and yeah, I mean, like it. The the number of 
defensemen in the history of the NHL who have had over 30 points in the playoffs. It's Brian Leach, Al McInnes. And I, I don't think Orr played enough games. Yeah, because they only played eight back then. Yeah. Um, so it's two of them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the greatest playoff performances, offensive playoff performances in the history of the sport, right? Um, I mean, it's 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 uh, one and a half points per game, basically, from a defenseman over a 23-game stretch. It's pretty nuts. Even though it was a really high-flying era. Yes, there were a lot of... Yeah, I mean they beat your team, so you you probably don't have any positive thing to say about it. But no, I don't. I also I also think Mike Richter probably should have won that Conn Smythe because he played out of his mind. I, I can't. I I wasn't watching. Yeah, he his his save percentage for the early nineties is amazing. It's nine twenty one, which is fine now, but back then would have been great. And his oh, GA yeah. is amazing for the back yeah. then too. But yeah. you know what? Leach scored thirty four points. Well, I, I know that the Conn Smythe is uh, for the entire playoffs. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm remembering Richter from specific, specifically from the Stanley Cup final. And he played out of his bloody mind. If you watch that third period again, you won't believe that Vancouver didn't tie it up. Like, he, he played really, really – don't, don't get me wrong, Leach scored the first goal in that game. And he's the kind of guy who was always all over the ice. And I'm not saying he's not deserving. But if, if my money were on it, I would have given it to Richter because uh, – he, pulling the game logs. We're going to the the closest thing we have to the videotape. <laughs> All right. So he didn't have a great game in the first game. No, he did not. No, that was uh, that game was all Kirk McLean. Um, in the second game, he had a an, an fantastic game. Sure did. That's what you just said. Sorry, it was in nine sixty, uh, and then. Uh, Oh yeah, two games in a row of ninety-six percent or more. Yeah. Oh yeah. On shots, which is excellent, as we all know, um, especially for back then. And then nine thirty-three in the next one. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely had a series. Eh? I, I I would say the reason the reason the Rangers were up three-one was largely because of him, because Vancouver was playing actually quite well, and you know they had Kirk McLean was standing on his head at the other end, so for him to get that series to three, one. And then, you know, the Rangers were a lot older, right. They had a lot of veterans on that team. And uh, when, once Vancouver started, started getting their mojo going, it was just like, I don't know if these guys are going to be able to hold it together. And then Richter managed to get them across the finish line. They, the first two periods in that game, the Rangers played really, really well. And then Jeff Bukaboom got hurt. And when he got hurt, the Rangers were basically down to three healthy defensemen or healthy ish defensemen. And they were just, like Richter had to make some incredible saves in the third period. And, you know, it, it, it was, it was close. And if it wasn't for him, I, I have a feeling uh, they wouldn't have won that cup. So that's sort of where yeah. I remember it. But obviously if the con smites for the entire playoff run, those point totals by leech have to give it to him. But if, it, if the con smites were like the NBA where it's the quote unquote yeah. final MVP, I, I think it should have gone to Richter, but that's, you know, Maybe that's just me thinking my team was going to score every time they shot. But <laughs> if, if, well, you, if you go back, you can watch Game Seven. It's on YouTube. If you watch that game again, which is probably one of the greatest hockey games ever played, by the way, because it was just end to end is ninety four, right? Like yeah. even though players were good defensively, like the puck got turned around so quick and like everybody was just flying and 
the hitting was great and just people made mistakes. <laughs> you know? yeah. like, it was uh, it was pretty unbelievable. It was great, great hockey. If, yeah, if I mean, Richter, uh, seen it, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I haven't I haven't watched it. I should watch it. You really should. Every time I watch it, I still think Vancouver's going to score in the third period, even though I know what happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was like obviously the, the, it, anybody for Conn Smythe consideration would have been Leach, Messier, and Richter. I mean, there was nobody else I think they would have even considered at all. Um, those yeah. Are three big guys on that team. Yeah, absolutely. So in addition to that, he has two Norris trophies, uh, one, one in the year in which he scored 102 points, uh, which is a lot uh, for a defenseman. And one of only five defensemen, it's worth pointing out, to do that. And then the other, uh, a number of years later, in 97, um, I haven't actually like looked at those Norris trophies in a long time to like uh, to to remind myself whether or not I thought either or both of them were deserved. But I mean, he 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 also there was another five. Uh, um, there were another five seasons in which he finished top five in Norris voting. Yeah. So it was generally a consensus for a, a big chunk of the nineties. It was a consensus. One of the best defensemen in the league. He also won the Calder. So he has lots of trophies. He does. Um, uh, point shares look very, think very highly of him. Um, but more uh, in terms of his all around game rather than defense. So they list him as a top, 10 player four times, top five player once, whereas defensive point shares, he was only a top 10 player twice. Uh, but he, of course, pumped out the points. Um, he, you know, he was top five in assists once, top 10 five times. He was uh, top 10 in points once, which was the year he scored 100 points. But, like, for a defenseman, top 10 in points, especially back then, well, not in the early 90s, but in the late 90s would have been a big deal. And as I pointed out, he is one of only five defensemen to ever score 100 points in a season. He has lots of, like, he's on lots of these short lists. He scored 20 goals five times, which is only one of nine guys. He scored 80 point, eighty assists once, which is only three defensemen ever. Uh, that would be Coffee and uh, Orr and him. Yep. So it's pretty exclusive company in the offensive categories. Um, some first-team All-Stars, uh, second-teams, all-rookie, nine All-Star games. So lots and lots and lots of accomplishments. Absolutely. And in terms of the great teams, he was, of course, the best player on, or at least the best skater, let's say, on a champion, <laughs> as well as the best defenseman by points on a on a conference final Rangers team in the later 90s. And then he also uh, was the best defenseman, or top two defenseman, sorry, on the, uh, the U.S. Olympic team that didn't win in 2002. I don't see his... 96 World Cup there, and I'm wondering if he was hurt for it, or I just forgot it. So I'm going to look that up. Um, so then if he if he was hurt for it, it does, uh, maybe Schneider had a bigger role in the World Cup than, than I, I attributed to him yeah. when I was looking it up. Um, International World Cup, World Cup. Nope, I just completely forgot it. <laughs> on the notes for some reason. Yeah, so he uh yeah, he would have been the uh by points it looks like he was the best defenseman on that World Cup team, which is yeah. not a surprise. Yeah, not a surprise at all. Yeah. You know what it is? I bet I was looking at Wikipedia and um, I saw them only 
they only listed their they only listed silver medal because they don't for some reason somebody didn't add the World Cup medal because it's Wikipedia. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, yeah. Jesus, I I really dropped the ball uh, on uh, his international stuff. He also uh, won a bronze medal at the World Juniors in 1986. Okay, there you go. Um, and I don't know what role he would have had on that team. Uh, he scored a bunch of points, though, so probably he was one of the top defensemen. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's just like there's no doubt in my mind at all, personally. Oh no, no, not at all. Let's. It's it's interesting. You were saying uh, you were talking about the '96 World Cup that the MVP of that was Mike Richter. Um, yeah, and then we had to play. You know. Canada had to play them again in 02 and you know uh, the US scored very early in that game and I was just like you know what Mike Richter's done this to me twice I am going to be extremely upset if this happens a third time for the love of God because <laughs> he had already you know it, as far as I'm concerned stole a cup away from us in that third period um, yeah. and then you know the 96 World Cup goes without saying was stolen and he played out of his bloody mind in that thing um, so I was like, third time, like this can't happen. We got to score some goals, and then luckily Joe Sackick and Jerome McGinley are fantastic. Um, but uh, it's you know, like I was saying before that I thought Richter should have won it, but that's because I focused so much on the final. I watched a lot of their series against uh, New Jersey, and obviously that was Messier's series because they were down, and then uh, they finally they finally came through. Yeah. Um, but I think if you look at the entire playoffs, I think you'd have to give it to Leach, right? If you're just thinking about strictly the final, I think I would give Richter the edge. But that's not the way the NHL works, right? It is the playoff MVP, not the way it works in the NBA where it's just the finals, right? Yeah. Uh, so th- th- there's a big difference there. And I, th- I think Leach is deserving uh, of it. I mean, look at those point totals. It's ridiculous. And th- th- there's no question if they didn't have him, there's no way they win. Same thing with Richter, obviously put Glenn yeah. Healy in nets trust me that, cup, that cup's coming to Vancouver pretty easy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which by the way every every time I used to hear him on Hockey Night in Canada he'd talk about oh when we won the cup in 94 I'd be like you did nothing you did nothing <laughs> 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 anyway I just really don't like Glenn Healy and the thing is when he played for the Islanders I kind of did like him I'm like yeah he's just flopping around in there he's all right and then the minute he played for the Rangers and started talking about him, I'm like, dude, come on. That's, you can't talk about us winning the cup. Kiprios had as much to do with it as you did. <laughs> I mean, I think Kiprios might also say us, but yes, I know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's without a doubt, Leach, without Leach, without Messier, without Richter, any one of those guys gets hurt. They don't win. Um, and, and they were a completely stacked team with ridiculous players. Um, but I think even with Zubov being there, um, with the inj- the other injuries they had on defense, I think if Leach goes down, there's no way they win that. Yeah. Uh, and it, in well, fact, Zubov was not the player he would become later. From no, no, he wasn't. Like, he was very young, but they had Kovalev, who was not the player that he would become either. I mean, they were yeah. they were stacked. Um, but the um, the interesting thing about that too is that. Uh, there's a couple of the Rangers defensemen who are on record as saying like, cause they got an extra day of rest because Madison square garden, Madison square garden was busy on the Monday. So they had to play on the Tuesday. So they got an extra day's rest. Mm-hmm. And some of the defensemen are like, we were a lot older than that team. Like if we didn't get that day of rest, I don't think we would have won. Like we were that tired. 
I'm like, yeah. you gotta be kidding me. Like for them to say that is something else, right? And usually nobody would admit something like that. I'm like, gee. And they're like, especially once Buka Boom got hurt early in the game, like, holy shit, we were in trouble. <laughs> it's like, man. So it was, uh, it's, it's for, for my money, it's still the best cup final I've ever seen. Uh, obviously with my team in it, I still, you know, I'm going to, but ev- every game had something and just, it was, it was the last great final before the devils won and just made it the dead puck era. <laughs> it was great yeah, yeah. stuff. You know, it was like, it was sort of like a, like a kiss goodbye to that era of yes, we can play defensively, but we'd much rather just skate and score goals. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it was, it's great stuff. You gotta, you're gonna have to do yourself a favor and sit down with a couple of beers someday and watch it. All right. I will. So as to Leach's candidacy, yes. how do you feel? Oh, absolutely. Slam, yeah, yeah. slam dunk Hall of Famer. Not even close. Yeah. Uh, you know, won, won a cup, was easily one of the top five defensemen in the NHL. And I'd say at certain points, if you're just thinking of an offensive defenseman, he was clearly the best. Um, I, w- I would put him ahead of, uh, on a purely offensive standpoint, I'd put him ahead of... Uh, Maybe everybody but McCannis. Um Well, once, well, once Coffee was like older, yeah, and McInnes had had sort of transitioned to a more responsible player. Yeah, I think it was Leach, absolutely. Like yeah. in the late nineties. Oh yeah, yeah, like, like o- over you know, even I would say even in the early nineties, I would say over, over Bork, over. If you're just like obviously Bork, I think as an all-around defenseman who could do everything, I would give him the nod. But purely based on offense, I can't think of another defenseman who could hold a candle to what Leach could do out there. Yeah, like his his skating was miles above most players, and he just was everywhere on the ice. And I don't remember him being like a defensive stalwart by any you know stretch of the imagination. He wasn't the biggest guy, but he he never seemed to get caught. He was up the ice you know like he was back like, sure he, he could get beat but he, he never got caught way up the ice because of his skating you know he was pretty yeah he was i i remember him usually being in position when he was on the lease yep. anyway. you yeah. know like i remember being like very this is not i did not watch a lot of rangers games no and and but when he came on to the leafs i i just remember and he's old you know i just remember him sort of like always being like he was smart and yep. at that point, he played for such a long time; he had to be. But oh yeah, just yeah. like but just the the skating was so yeah. much better than most players on the ice. And I'd actually make a make a comparison to another player who I hate because beat us all the time, uh, Duncan Keith. Except Keith played with a lot more of an edge and was far dirtier. Yeah. Uh, note the multiple suspensions, but every time he'd be like, "Oh, Keith's been out there for two minutes. Dump the puck in and go get." He'd always beat you to the puck. You're like. How did he do that? Like, does the guy never get tired? Like, what what sort of skates is he using? Is he from the future? Like, just drove me nuts. And I'm sh- I'm sure if I'd watched more Rangers games back then, and I'm sure some Rangers fans are saying this, like, yeah, whenever Leach was on the ice, you're like, oh, dude, this is going to be a great couple of minutes. <laughs> like, just he's probably not going to get beat, you know, because of his skating, and he's probably going to set up a glorious chance because he's just that good, you know. Yeah. I would say Keith in his prime there for about five years was exactly like that of just. Man, every time this guy's on the ice, there's almost nothing you can do. Like his team has such an advantage. So we have one last player, and he has had a very weird career in part because one reason he might actually he's in the Hall of Fame is more of his role as a builder, um, because he was an own, co-owner of teams um, at one point or league or something like that. I think you know better than me. 
Um, anyway, uh, we have Lester Patrick, who, um, uh, how do we, uh, <laughs> so how do, how do we, how do we say this? He, he barely played in the NHL. Um, he, he played a final season of his career in the NHL after he had retired seemingly, but he was also the coach, I guess, of, of the Rangers. And then he, he came out of retirement in the playoffs to play a game as a goalie, despite being a career defenseman <laughs> um, and actually got a win in the playoffs. And so his NHL career consists of one game as a defenseman. And then the next season, one game in the playoffs as a goalie. And it's bizarre. And he was a coach. He was a coach. It should be noted that back then there weren't rules about coaches, not playing, uh, you know, not playing and players, not being coaches. Um, but yeah, he had the weirdest NHL career. Um, he, of course, had a long uh, career prior to being in the NHL, which we we're going to talk about. But he's, you know, he then went on to a great success as a coach, and he has an award named after him, um, which is why he got lumped in with these American defensemen. Because even though he is a Canadian, there is an American hockey award named after Lester Patrick. So that's why we're talking about him. Um, it's a very loose connection, <laughs> but <laughs> whatever. Um, so he mostly played in the PCHA, which a league we've talked about a bunch of times. And in that he was uh, a very good player. Um, he is 17th ish all time in goals, despite being a defenseman. He is eighth all time in assists, 11th all time in points. Um, and that's being 13th all time in games played. Uh, he might be, if you make, if you if you raise the bar to at least five seasons played, he might be ninth all time in goals per game, fifth all time in assists per game, and eighth all time in points per game. So, you know, he had a pretty good career. He also played there long enough to to qualify for a, a five season minimum because most players who played in the PCHA and the WCHL didn't play that long. They moved from league to league. This, of course, the PCHA was his league, right? It was the Patrick's league. It was, yes. They 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 moved out to uh, Vancouver and Victoria, built both arenas. Uh, they had owned a lumber company out in uh, the Ottawa area and uh, had played for the uh, Renfrew Creamery, Creamery Kings. Uh, and the owner of that, I um, can't remember his first name, but Ambrose, uh, began paying his players between $3,500 and $5,000 a season. And people went, whoa, you guys are millionaires. Uh, <laughs> And so uh, they, they garnered the nickname, the Millionaires. And so that's where the Vancouver Millionaires comes from. Um, and so when they had that final out in 1914-15, uh, um, it was the Patrick brothers and Cyclone Taylor and a lot of the great, great players from that era who'd gone out West because they knew they would get paid more. And the Patrick brothers are smart enough to realize that they were growing the game in Western Canada. And it was just, there was nothing else out there. So like if you could get professional games going, and then get, you know, games played against the NHA, um, you were going to have yourself a, a shot at the cup and you were going to grow the game like crazy. And so Ottawa uh, had beaten the Montreal Wanderers that year over here and uh, had to go out west to play Vancouver out there. And so they played a five-game series. Um, and the odd-numbered games were played under PCHA rules, which had different rules at that time. Um, so the PCHA rules had six players and a rover. 
Um, and then the games two and four were played with the NHA rules, which were just six per side. So the Rover was still used under PCHA rules, but not under the uh, NHA rules. Um, that's super confusing. All right, well, that's they did, had different rules for different leagues, right? So yeah, the yeah. games one, three, and five would have been played with uh, PCHA rules, and the other ones, uh, the other ones would have been. Um, but it, it ended in three games anyway, so I guess the rules didn't matter. Um, <laughs> they were they were quite one sided. Uh, six two, eight three, and twelve uh, three. So, um, yes, once upon a time, Vancouver did have a winning hockey team. Um, all they had to do was move everybody from Ottawa and pay them obscene amounts of money. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked for the Rangers in 94, too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so, but it's it really like it's, I think that's why Lester Patrick, you know, he was, um, he was a great player. Uh, but I think even more as a builder is why he belongs. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's just one of those things. And I, I think he actually at that point um, was not playing for the team. So I don't believe he played on the cup winner. Well, that's uh, what I was going to say. I didn't, I, I missed this team on, uh, on yeah, the list, no, no, but no, no, I guess he, he wasn't playing. His, uh, his brother, Frank Patrick played on the team. Um, so I guess he had stopped playing for them uh, just slightly before that. Um, he moved over had... to uh, the aristocrats maybe. <laughs> Well, they, um, they they still had Fred Cyclone Taylor and they still had yeah. most of that team together. Um, so, uh, yeah, he, so he was in that league for eight years, 11 years, sorry, 11 years. And then, of course, that league folded and turned into the WCHL. But he didn't um, – he actually retired for a while. You know, he uh, – he didn't play um, like he retired in 1922 and then he like came out of retirement to play in the WCHL, um, which would be in the WHL, which he played for one season, which was decent. Um, but he was also the, I believe he was also the coach because it was like, you know, back then. So he had like one season, in the WHL four years out, three years after he retired, no four years after he retired where he coached the Victoria Cougars and also played defense and they were decent. Um, they went to, I believe they, uh, they almost, they almost won that league that year. Um, and, uh, anyway, I mean, there, there's some, uh, he know, actually, he had already won the Stanley cup with them the year before, before he came out of retirement to play. There so someone go. must've gone hurt on the, I don't know who the hell it was very weird time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it's just that, you know, like. The, the cup was a challenge cup and then it became, yeah. you know, a meeting of the PCHA and the NHA and, you know, the NHL still wasn't a thing yet. And it's that there's so much changing um, at the, at that time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as a founder, uh, that's the thing. It's, it's so tricky because I think their, their careers as players and founders sort of go hand in hand back then. They well, had he also league. So it's, Unlike some of these guys, he had a hell of a career in the PCHA. Yes, right? really like did, he, yeah. you know, he was. I, I it's it's back then. De, defensemen's roles were really different. Obviously, they had rovers. He may have been a rover too. I don't know, but like he still he put up big numbers for the fact that he was not a forward. Um, you know, and he he played for for that league for a really long time, which makes sense given his financial state. Yeah, um, but. 
you know, I, I look at his PCHA career and I go, oh, I think that guy might be in the Hall of Fame anyway, even if he hadn't done all the other things that he'd done. Yeah, and I'm, I, well, I mean, you look at, uh, you know, his early success as well. Um, you know, he, he came yeah. up with McGill University and then uh, was a star of the Brandon team in the Northwestern and Manitoba Hockey Leagues. Um, they say he was the first defenseman known to score a goal, but, you know, with the shoddy record keeping, who knows? Well, also um, 1903, like defensemen had scored goals before 1903. Come on. You would think. You would. <laughs> um, of course, did they have the forward pass? One. They did know. not. So. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. So maybe not. Um, but That's uh, true. That's a good point. With, with the Montreal Wanderers in 1906, 1907, he was undeniably uh, either – you know, if not the best player, one of the best players. He scored 41 goals as a rushing defenseman in 28 games. Um, and he led them to the Stanley Cup in both seasons. So I think just that right there goes to show you what a great player he was. Um, and then he was one of the high-priced free agents signed by the uh, Renfrew Creamery Kings uh, in the NHA's first year of operation. And he was one of hockey's great stars at that point. Yeah. So, I mean, even yeah. without going west. And then, of course, you know, the they you know had success in the pcha there were a lot of good teams out there um you know uh, between seattle victoria and vancouver they had some very strong teams yeah. um and so i mean i i think he's probably in as a player and as a builder yeah i mean i certainly have no problem with that i mean he did he won um he won stanley cups like you said with the ECAHA team um twice and uh he also uh you know, he was on a very good Manitoba team, as you also mentioned, which also didn't quite win the Stanley Cup, but it it was able to challenge for it, which means it was good. Yeah. And um, and then he had these weird, like, you know, he was on some good PCHA teams, um, even though he wasn't on that team you were talking about, yeah. where he, uh, you know, they, they, um, they won the league one year and they lost to the NHA team and another team, they almost won the league. And, and then he, of course, had his crazy career as a coach. Um, where he uh, won a Stanley Cup champion, I believe, uh, as the last one. Um, and then um, he went over and became a coach in the NHL and won two cups as a coach in the NHL as well. Yeah. Um, and I had just... that super weird career where he played two games, <laughs> once, as a, once as a defenseman in a regular season game, and then a season later as a goalie in a playoff game, which is just ridiculous. Ridiculous, and that was that was because he had to. The goalie, yeah. he was he was forced to because the other team wouldn't let them play their uh, uh, let them play another goalie. He was actually at the watching the game, but who was not on the Rangers. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he had a fast. I mean, these careers are always really interesting because of the, the movement and stuff. But like, he had a particularly weird one, right? Retiring sort of twice. And coming back out of retirement once actually to play in a full season and another time to just play a couple games and like really three times. Yeah, to play three that. different leagues, you know, win presumably win cups in all of them. Um and, and when they were out in uh out in Vancouver as well, the, the to to my knowledge, it was the first women's uh ice hockey club. There there may have been there may have been some out east already at that point, but uh the uh, the Patrick family started uh, a ladies hockey club in Nelson, British Columbia. Um, his sisters Myrtle, Cinda, and Dora Patrick were all involved with the club. A lot uh, of kids. And the in 1911, he was he was the coach of the team, and Dora was the captain. So I mean, he you know it's they're at the forefront of developing the women's game even as early as that, right? Like if you watch that um, 
uh, hockey, a people's history, uh, you know, DVD set that uh, CBC put out. It's like they talk a lot about the development of the women's game and how early it was. This is 1911. And then, yeah. you know, they have a they have a hockey team that's being coached by the famous Lester Patrick. Like this is this is way, way, way ahead of its time and just kind of goes to show how dedicated they were to hockey and to building it in any way they could, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys who I, I agree, like his role as a builder and as, as a player is intertwined and you can't really separate them. Yeah. Um, but it just like, it's like, he's one of those guys who I think if he's not in the hall of fame, what the hell's the point? You know? Exactly. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, you know, the, the, and you even talk about that they were instrumental in forming. There's 22 new rules that are still in the NHL rulebook to this day that uh, that uh, he and his uh, that Frank and Lester Patrick invented. Uh, oh. the, the blue line, the forward pass, the playoff system, um, uh, numbers on the players' sweaters so that people could identify who's who out on the ice, That's uh, funny. allowing the puck to be kicked everywhere but into the net unless you're Brett Hull. Uh, <laughs> I had to get it in there. Um, uh, and allowing goaltenders to actually fall to the ice to make a save before that they had to stay standing. Um, and then they were responsible for giving assist when a goal was scored and they invented the penalty shot. I mean, those are, they basically yeah. invented half of what we know as hockey today. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. Yeah. And the fact that they were also fantastic players, I mean, it's just like they're, they're, they, not only do they, they have to be in the Hall of Fame, they should be, you know, in the... I'm, I haven't been in a long time, and I can't remember when I was there because I was too busy just gawking because I had never been there before. But, uh, you know, I would assume that if they don't have their own wing, they probably should. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been there since I was a kid. So. Yeah, same here, yeah. Despite living... Uh, not that long ago, my girlfriend actually lived very close to it, so I, should, I had every reason to go, but... So uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I absolutely think that yeah, he's this is he's what the Hall of Fame is for. Um, so uh, Schneider, do you have any? Uh, a gentle no. Yeah, yeah, me too. And then Leach is a yes for Leech both of us. Yep. And then Patrick is more of a yes. Yes, I would agree. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so that's all for us this episode. Uh, we have two more 2009 players. To get to uh, the rest of the 2009 class, they are Luke Robitaille and Steve Eisenman. We're going to be talking about them shortly and some other guys. And then uh, and then at some point soon, we have a, a special series coming up as well. And also, we are going to get to the 2019 class sooner or later. Um, the controversial 2019 class. Um, yes. But that, that'll be... We haven't quite decided the order exactly how we're going to do that. But So the next two episodes will still be about 2009 inductees and related players and then we'll get on to the series or something like that we'll we'll figure it out that sounds great <laughs> yeah. all right uh yeah thank you everyone for listening and we will see you next time take care